Well, the title of this morning's message is Our Response to Christmas. And so we've come through, as I just said in my prayer, we've come through this season where we have celebrated the birth of Jesus. And so uh, some folks put their trees up back in October. Uh, Some put them up in November or December. But regardless, uh, most families put up a Christmas tree or two or whatever. Folks, uh, some folks put lights on their houses, some folks put wreaths on their doors and windows, and, uh, and then we celebrate Christmas. We get together with family, and if, if able, and you, uh, you have some good food, and you open presents that are underneath those trees, it's a season where people have gone out and purchased gifts for other people. And uh, and then you get together with family and eat that good food and, and share those gifts. And then when it's all over, you take the tree down and you put the wreaths away. And there, there it was. That was Christmas once again. Now, did anything I just described, was it specifically Christian? No, it wasn't, was it? Because even the pagans, even the heathens can celebrate Christmas that way, right? And so the question then begs, well then, what is Christmas to the body of Christ? And what is our response to the idea that God loved us so much that He would give us a Savior? And so I want us to look then... At Romans chapter 15, Paul writes, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. So, Paul is saying, you know, accept those who are weaker. Accept those who may not have it all together. That we accept those just as Christ accepted us when we came to Him and we might not have had it all together. And that just as Christ Jesus did not look to His own interests, did not look to what was beneficial to Him, 
but showed us what it looks like to do something that benefits others, that we then should respond in the same way. And that, church family, should be our response to Christmas. The idea that God gave us a Savior, and then we in turn are going to do what we can to learn. And it takes time to transform our lives to look more like that of Jesus himself. And so, uh, he says, as it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with, with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the people extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nation. Nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Paul, being the uh, devout Jew that he had been, uh, knows lots of Old Testament scripture. And in that section right there, quotes over and over and over again. There are about four different examples of Old Testament scripture that he just quotes there. And then he's reminding the folks in Rome that you know Christ died uh, for not just the Jews, but certainly for the Gentiles. And of course the church in Rome would have been a very Gentile-driven uh, uh, church. Uh, there would have been a, a lot of non-Jews in, in Rome that would have made up that church. And so, when we think about imitating Christ, I turn to a book that I use every, every few years I reach for this. And it's something that, it's one of those things I should probably read once a year. Uh, but it's The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And uh, uh, Thomas Akempis... Uh, wrote uh, all of this. These are writings that, that he penned back in about 1420 to 1427. So hundreds of years ago, uh, years ago, but he writes, keep in mind your purpose in coming here and keep the crucified Lord before your eyes. You certainly should feel ashamed if after meditating on the life of Christ and after having been so many years following in his footsteps, you still have not conformed your life to his. He's saying, hey, y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. If you've been following Jesus for a number of years and your life looks nothing like his, he's saying you've been doing it wrong. Because the whole idea of being a follower of Christ is that over time we will mold our lives into His life. That we will follow Him as an example. That just as He uh, could have said, Hey, <laughs> they're a bunch of wretches. They're a bunch of wretches, Father. I don't think I'm going to lay down my life for them. 
No. No. What does Romans 5.8 tell us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, just as Paul then writes in Romans 15 that we should accept others in their weakness, we accept others when they're wrong. We accept others when their lives are a mess. Imagine if the hospital always said, Hey now, y'all don't need to come in here because y'all are sick. Okay? Y'all don't need to come in here because you're sick. Oh, now don't be coming to us because you need your gallbladder taken out. You get your gallbladder taken out and then you come see the hospital. Right? Are you, when you get over whatever it is that's ailing you, then we'll let you spend the night in one of our nice beds. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, does it? And it shouldn't work that way for church either, should it? We should never be people who say, well, when they get their lives together, then they can come worship the Lord. Years ago, we ran an ad, a full-page ad in the Lewis County Herald. And what we said in that ad was, and I think, I can't remember how many years ago that was. I'm, I'm thinking that might have been... Uh, seven, eight years ago. But it was a picture of this congregation. We had taken a picture, somebody had stood on the stage and snapped a photo of this congregation standing in these pews in this very auditorium. And we ran an ad that says, we don't go to church every Sunday because we are good enough. We worship every Sunday because we know we will never be good enough. And isn't that still true today, church family? That we don't come here, we don't get up on Sunday morning and say, Hey, I'm good enough, I make the grade, I get to go worship. No. We come here as a way of saying thank you to a God who loved us enough to give us a Savior. We're a people who needed saving. And through His blood... Through our faith, our repentance, our baptism in His name, then we are saved. We often in the churches of Christ use that term baptized. And that's nothing wrong with that. Numerous biblical examples of being baptized, immersed. Read the book of Acts and there's probably at least nine or ten right there. But... I think we miss out when we don't use that language that says saved. The word saved is actually in the Bible, in the New Testament Scripture, more times than the word baptism. And so we have to remember that we are a people who are saved. And we praise God for saving us. But of course, first we had to acknowledge that we were in need of being saved. Something else that Akempis writes that I think is, is uh, worth reading again. Take advantage of everything that will help your progress. Means your progress in becoming more like Jesus. 
And if you see or hear of a good example, be on fire to imitate it. I love that language. On the other hand, if you see something reprehensible, then do not imitate it, but avoid it. And if you have ever imitated such a deed, then correct it as soon as you can. Just as you take notice of the actions of others, be assured others also notice yours. Right, church? That just as we see the actions of other people, let's be assured that other people see our actions as well. Now, uh, one of the examples of someone who, uh, who Jesus meets while he's walking through a town uh, resonates with me as, as I preach this message this morning. And that is found in Luke chapter 19. It's the only place, I believe, in the Gospels that his name is mentioned, and it's only in Luke's Gospel. But in Luke chapter 19, we find that there is a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Now, we know that the tax collectors were uh, well compensated for their efforts on behalf of the empire of Rome. And Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector, was especially well compensated. And so to be well compensated was pretty much to be well despised. Uh, It's no secret that throughout the Gospels, the terms sinners and tax collectors are used together. And so Jesus was often known to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And so Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector, you could almost say, well, he was a chief sinner. And uh, because the tax collectors lined their pockets very thoroughly off of, uh, by, by taking advantage really of, of the working class folks that were under them, that they were going to collect those taxes from. And so, in Luke 19, we read that Zacchaeus gets word, he hears that, that uh, hey, Jesus is coming through our town today. Now, they knew about Jesus. Uh, what Jesus had been doing had, had spread like wildfire throughout the region. And so, they knew that he was one who taught with authority. They also knew that there had been many signs and wonders. That, you know, when Jesus comes around, the people who can't walk suddenly are able to walk. Uh, The people who are blind suddenly can see. And so, so when Jesus leaves a town, he leaves it very much changed from what it was when he arrived. And so it's no wonder that the people where Zacchaeus were, were excited. Jesus of Nazareth is here. He is coming through our town today. Now we read that Zacchaeus was a man of small stature. I don't know. I'm picturing Danny DeVito. If you know the actor who probably stands about like 5'2", 5'3". I picture somebody about that height. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going like this for 5'2 or 5'3". No, Greg. It's, it's a lot closer to where you are, buddy. 
<laughs> so, five two five three, right in here, and so uh, right here, and so so yeah, and so uh, Zacchaeus though can't see above the crowd, and so what does he do? He takes himself to a higher elevation, and so he looks up, and right above his head is what church? It's a sycamore tree, right? And so he climbs up in that sycamore tree. And there he is able to see the approaching Savior. But then something happens that just blows the crowd away. Because Jesus stops dead in his tracks, looks up into that tree, and we know the story. He engages this chief tax collector. He engages Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come on down here. Because I'm coming to your house today. I don't know what you're serving, but I'm going to have supper with you. And then, of course, what happens, church? The crowd just breaks out in rejoicing. Woohoo! Of all the people he could have chosen, he chose good old Zach. Yeah! What a guy! And of course, no, that's not what the crowd said. The crowd starts grumbling, mumbling. And the crowd says, What in the world? Of all the people lining these streets, he had to look up in that tree and he has to go to the house of Zacchaeus? Because you see, in their culture, if you were willing to be a guest in someone's home, it was as if you approved of them. To accept someone's invitation, hey, come on over to my house, we'll put some burgers on the grill, and we'll have, we'll have a good time. Well, to accept that invitation meant that, that you were willing to be a guest in their home, and that's as if you're putting your stamp of approval on that person and that person's reputation, maybe that person's lifestyle. That's why throughout the Gospels that there are people, people really grumble. And a lot of times it's the Pharisees, it's the religious leaders of the day who grumble the loudest. Like, why in the world, why in the world is Jesus eating with those sinners and tax collectors. And so now, the crowd grumbles. It's their turn to kind of grumble because Jesus is stopping to associate, to engage someone that they do not approve of. Someone that they would say doesn't have it all together. Now, it's worth noting that Zacchaeus becomes a changed man as a result. Right there, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus comes down from that tree and he says, you know what, if I have wronged anybody, just tell me. If you feel like I've wronged you and I will pay you back four times the amount that I've wronged you. Now, the Jewish law called for him to pay back twice. So he went from doing what the law required, the minimum, and now 
He's going the extra mile, isn't he, church? He's saying, I'm going to double what the law requires. I'm going to make amends to these people that I have wronged. And see, we look at this story, church family, and we ask ourselves, who do we more closely identify with in the story? Which character are we in this story? Well, okay, we can't be Jesus. Okay, the lead is already taken. It's already been cast. But maybe, maybe, maybe we're Zacchaeus. That's an important role in the story. Maybe we're the person who doesn't have it all together yet. Maybe we're among the sinners and tax collectors. Well, there's good news because Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. He didn't approve of everything he had done. But he was certainly willing to say, I'm going to associate with you right where you are now. We could identify with all those extras that were cast, all those people that lined the streets that day, that Jesus walked right through them. We could say, yeah, we're one of those people, oh, but wait. Those people who grumbled because Jesus was willing to accept someone that we were not willing to accept. And if you find yourself ever having done that, ever having looked down your nose at someone else, as the saying goes, at someone who considered someone else less than, because of their habits, because of their choices, because of their addictions, whatever it might look like, the good news for us is that Jesus too accepts us where we are and says, come, be like me. Come on, if this is you. But our response to Christmas, church, should strive to be the part of the sycamore tree. That our role in the story is to take those people and to just help to do what we can to lift them up. To lift them up just enough so that they can see the approaching Savior. That church is our response to Christmas. That's the role in the story that God calls us to play. Be the sycamore tree. Do what you can to simply lift others high enough up above the distractions. Above all that stuff that gets in the way of seeing Jesus. And lift them up high enough that they can see the approaching Savior. Let's bring them into these walls. Let's let them sing praises alongside us. Let's let them practice bowing their heads when we pray prayers. Let's let them have an encounter with the risen Savior. Do what you can do to teach them 
Show them by your life. Show them by your own willingness, your own desire to be more like Jesus. And in so doing, you're going to lift those people up and show them Jesus. That's our role, church. That's our call. That is our response to Christmas. That even the non-believers can get happy during Christmas. Even they can be nicer than usual. Even they can find it in their heart to be generous for a season of the year. But we are called to be like Jesus. To be generous and gracious and loving and forgiving all year long. Shame on us if we're like the world around us and we only get happy for a short season. Because Christians should be among the most joyful people on the entire planet. Because we church family have a hope that the rest of the world does not have. Let's show them that hope. Let's be the sycamore tree. Let's show them Jesus. If you're with us this